Josh Grossman has over 15 years experience in IT risk and application security consulting, and he's also worked as a software developer. He currently works as CTO for Bounce Security, where he focuses on helping organizations build secure products by providing value-driven AppSec support and guidance. In his spare time, he's very involved with OWASP. He's on the OWASP Israel Chapter Board, is a co-leader of the OWASP Application Security Verification Standard, or ASVS, and he's also contributed to various other projects, including the Top 10 Risks, Top 10 Proactive Controls, and Juice Shop Projects. Josh joins us to talk about high-value AppSec scanning programs. This is a new idea that he and the folks at Bounce Security are developing and are doing some training courses around, and so we, we explain some of the basics of the tools that we use in AppSec. And then Josh takes us through some ideas for what are some of the challenges that developers have with these tools and what can you do to be more successful in building a high value AppSec scanning program. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Josh Grossman. You're about to listen to AppSec Podcast. When you're done with this, be sure to check out our other show, High Five. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Application Security Podcast. This is Chris Romeo, CEO of Security Journey and co-host of said podcast. Also joined today by my friend, Robert Hurlbut. Hey, Robert. Hey, Chris. Yeah, Robert Hurlbut, uh, Principal AppSec Architect at Acquia. And really glad to be here. Yeah, that's a new title for you um, from we used to be, I, you know, I always used to say threat modeler to the stars or whatever is what I called, right. you know, Robert's Hollywood people are like checking in with Robert for some threat modeling. You know, let's, let's consider how this thing all comes together, but yeah, new, uh, on threat modeling <laughs> that hasn't gone away. But. It's hard to imagine you focusing on anything else based on, I think the whole time I, I think I met you in a threat modeling talk that when you right. were delivering right. it at uh, in good old Detroit, Michigan. Well, That's right. um, so our guest today is Josh Grossman. Josh is, this is his second visit to the show. Um, first time he was with us back in the early days of the AppSec podcast back in 2019. And I was uh, looking in the Wayback Machine or trying to remember. Um, so I had a chance to interview Josh at uh, AppSec USA in San Jose. That's how, how long ago it was. And we talked about AppSec in Israel and the talk that he was doing at that conference. So it's great to have Josh back with us again. And Josh, what have you been up to since 2019? Yeah, so uh, yeah, thanks so much for that intro. Um, really great to uh, see you again. Um, so yeah, so last time last time we saw each other was Upset USA. So uh, that was a really great conference, uh, really interesting experience. Uh, my first sort of major conference, and I guess what I was talking about at that conference was was penetration testing, which is what I was doing at the time. I was doing a lot of application penetration testing, sort of delivering and leading. Um, so I've worked uh, for that company and other companies since then in sort of a more application penetration testing role. Um, but what I guess <clears throat> what I was doing more and more over the last couple of years was more from sort of the the internal side, more working with development teams, looking at you know how to help developers build secure software from the beginning. I'd sort of been doing more and more of that. Um, and then a couple of months ago, uh, Avi Duglan, who I think we actually interviewed at the same time uh, on that previous podcast, uh, reached out to me and asked if I uh, wanted to come work with him. And uh, it sounded interesting, so I had a chat with him. And uh, yeah, it became clear that you know, the direction his company, Bounce Security, goes in is very much what I was looking at there in terms of you know working with developers, working with development teams, trying to build security in early on rather than just sort of coming in as a breaker. So uh 
I made that move and uh, now I'm very happily working uh, with him at Bounce Security. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. Avi's a good, uh, is a good friend of ours yeah. and uh, co-conspirator in the threat modeling manifesto. <laughs> so we got to spend a lot of time now. I want to, I want to, I want to dig in a little bit to this this transition you've made from kind of breaker to someone who's focused on helping builders, mm-hmm. because it's a bit of a soapbox for me. But I think as our audience knows, they're like, "Oh, get ready! Here comes a soapbox moment." But our, as an industry, we put so much focus on red teaming, pen testing, breaking. And every time I speak to a university CS student who's thinking about security, I'm like, hey, what do you think you want to do? Oh, I want to break stuff. I want to, I want to, I want to hack the planet, you know, on my skateboard or whatever. And like, so for you as somebody who's made that transition from being more of a breaker into a builder, like, why? Why why make that transition? And then what are some of the things that, that you've learned about breaking and building kind of through that little journey you've been on? So I guess the, the why of it was about it was about the impact. You know, I I really enjoyed it, you know, security as a whole. It was always sort of a bit of a hobby and it became a job. And you know, I think everyone a lot of people in this industry you know, feel the same way that it's sort of you know, part of this is fun and you you want to you know, you feel very connected to the to the industry. And what I saw was that you know the the, the breaking side you know it's, it's fun it's interesting it's constantly moving but I think you know we, we see the same thing over and over again we see the same issues over and over again and I think a lot of the root cause is that you know it's 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 not easy to build secure software because you know developers have exactly the same thing but on the other side things are moving very fast issues are you know coming along new problems coming along all the time and you know it's it's not something that they are immediately equipped to deal with I think there's a a lot of value in taking that sort of passion and taking that excitement about security, but applying it the other way and saying, look, here's, here's how you can make things more secure. And I think that's where the real impact is, you know, the impact in terms of actually moving the needle of making things more secure and building software that is more secure is only going to come from working with developers. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's almost sort of an extreme example, but I was at uh, a local conference here, Blue Hat, um, which is run by Microsoft. And it's very much like a hardcore sort of hacking conference. And I was wandering around. I was like, yeah, this is cool. You know, it is really cool. Very sort of stylized conference. But I realized that, you know, the big people to be talking to are the developers. They're the ones who have to actually build stuff securely in the first place. We can break as much as we want. But you know, I felt like, you know, the real connection needs to be with with developers themselves. Yeah, I've, I've summarized that in, in various conference talks over the years by saying you can't hack yourself secure. Like everybody's got this big focus on let's break, you know, let's red team, let's pen test. And it's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, that's a, that's a security controller, a check that happens after you've developed secure software. If you haven't put the effort in early in the life cycle, sure, you're going to be able to break, you can break anything, but it comes down to the, the true place we can change and, and really have impact is earlier in the process. So kids stay in school, study AppSec. You know, don't don't focus, don't don't believe the hype about the fact that everybody has to be a breaker. You know, listen to Josh's story here and <laughs> join it. Join us in the AppSec universe here. No, I think I think also you know, obviously, you know, I think penetration testing is still important, has value, and you know, a lot of them, that knowledge is important as well. But I guess it's important to see you know, break, breaking isn't necessarily the goal. Breaking is a great way to learn, especially early on. But uh, yeah, there comes to a point where you want to make real impact. That needs to be sort of in the building side. So Josh, today's uh, topic, we're going to be uh, focusing on uh, something you brought to us uh, that you've been looking at is high value AppSec scanning program. And so what do you mean by that? 
So I guess if, if, if once upon a time, you know, back a few years ago when, when you told a company, oh, you need to do an AppSec program, you need to have an application security program, um, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we do application penetration testing. Like, that's our application security program. Um, and I think certainly we, we, we've, we've moved on a little bit. And I think one of the directions we've moved in is now saying, well, we need, we need more application security processes. We need to do more of this. And I think a lot of companies have just run to say, okay, let's get tools in. Let's get a SaaS tool. Let's get, uh, you know, let's get static code analysis. Let's get uh, software composition analysis. Yeah, let's get, let's get uh, dynamic analysis. Yeah, let's get all sorts of tools in because I think there's a, there's a sort of an expectation. Oh, it's a tool. It's automated. We'll just sort of crank handle and it will yeah, we'll become secure. Um, and I think what, what gets missed a lot of the time is that, you know, these tools have to be integrated into an overall plan. Okay. We're going to use this tool and this is how we're going to use this tool. And this is what we're going to do with the results from the tool. And this is how we're going to, you know, prioritize and interact between the different tools that we've got. And I think that's something that often sort of falls between, between the cracks a little bit. And, uh, so the, the idea is you've got all these tools, but you know, how can you actually build, build a program around those tools that, you know, that you, you know what you're doing, you, you know exactly sort of how you're going to re um, react to the output of those tools as well. It's not just a, a cranking handle and something runs. It's actually, well, what am I going to do about that afterwards? Yeah, I mean, when I think about AppSec programs, people, process, tools, governance. And Robert, you'll remember our friend Alyssa Miller is the one who introduced us to adding the governance piece to that. And thanks, Alyssa. It's stuck with me since we had that interview a couple of years ago. People, process, tools, governance. So... You're talking about kind of the tools, obviously, and maybe a little bit of the process as well. I guess plus the people, plus the governance. There's probably pieces of all of those in what you're thinking about here. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's one of the interesting things that comes to. I know you added governance recently based on what Alyssa said, and I, I've seen quite often you've got tools in that. Okay, we've got the, all these different tools that we've now implemented and we're expected to use, and you've got governance. Because someone somewhere is saying you need to get these, you, know, you need to have zero findings in this tool, or you need to have zero criticals and highs in order to be able to release. But they're missing the process in between, and the people aren't really sure what they're supposed to be doing because that process isn't there. So I think that's sort of what nicely ties into the overall idea here. And so before we dive deeper into this, I think it would do our audience well that um, we don't assume everybody knows all of these four-letter tools and three-letter tools. Why in AppSec do we have to have four-letter tools? Why can't we just have, you know, why do we have, we have SAST and DAST and IAST and RASP and then we have SCA. We couldn't, we couldn't add one more letter onto that to SCAS. I don't know. I'm just trying to make up something new. But Josh, maybe you can just give us just a quick maybe one or two sentence definition of each of those types of tools that you're thinking about that are part of this AppSec scanning program, just in case we have folks out there that are, maybe they don't know all of the tools, maybe they just know one. So we can we can educate them before we start talking about how we bring them all together. Yeah, so I think that there are a lot of different types. I mean, there are lots of different types of scanning tools, especially some of the more modern ones as well that are looking at particular problems. Um, I guess from my perspective, what I've, what I've seen most frequently are, are four key types. Um, so, or maybe three plus penetration testing, let's say. I think penetration testing also has a place in this whole program, but it's obviously a little bit of a different thing. But if we look at the uh, the three other tools, you've got SAST, which is uh, static uh, application security testing. So that's usually um, a scanner that will go through the code itself or the compiled binaries and try and look for, for patterns or flows that indicate that there might be a, a vulnerability at the code level. And that's looking at the code that you as the developer or you as the organization have written. Um, there are SCA tools, software composition analysis. 
So they're looking at the libraries of the third-party code that you're bringing into your product. And generally, they're looking to see, okay, um, what library are you using? What version is it? And do we know of any known issues with this uh, with this library? And that might be vulnerability, known vulnerabilities in the library that have been reported and have a, a CVE identifier. Or it may be that the library is uh, licensed in a particular way that uh, to comply with the license, you'd have to open source your product as well. Um, and the third key type of tool is DAST, or uh, Dynamic Application Security Testing. Um, and that's basically we're doing testing at runtime while the application is running, sending um, malicious payloads to the application, seeing how it reacts, and seeing if you can deduce from how the application reacts whilst it's running, whether that it's got a vulnerability in it or not. Um, it's almost like people call it automated penetration testing, and I get very upset because I'm like, no, this isn't penetration testing. Penetration testing is one thing. This is DAST, and you know, it's effectively a, a form of pattern matching or firing a pattern and seeing how, how it responds. But obviously the key thing there is it's happening at runtime, whereas something like SAST or SCA is more at uh, it's, it's static. The application isn't running. You're just scanning the application code or binaries or libraries. So would, would you lump IaaS then, interactive application security testing, into kind of that DAST bucket? Where you kind of you kind of had the three buckets, so I I put it as a sort of a advanced form of DAST because from from what I've seen, um, in order to make IAST work, you need to uh, have the application actually running. You need to have traffic going to the application and differences that the IAST can detect when you get to uh, certain parts of the application or certain vulnerable um, functionality and say, oh yeah, you actually hit that and there's you know there's definitely a vulnerability here. So it's sort of DAST plus in some ways because it's uh, you're you're scanning dynamically. You've got a bit more information about what's going on behind the scenes you know, in, the, in the code itself. And then, um, as far as RASP, are you gonna because RASP is in production? Are you gonna leave that kind of uh, off to the side a little bit from this conversation? Yeah. So I, I so yeah, RASP usually gets sort of lumped in with this a little bit, but it's obviously it's slightly its own thing. It's sort of yeah, it's more of the production time. It's more at the runtime, you know, runtime detection, runtime uh, response. So uh, I guess the, my main focus at the moment is looking at more the development time practices and you know, what, uh, okay. what's happening while the application is actually being built. Okay. All right. So now that we've laid the foundation of what each of these classes of tools are, where, where did this idea for this topic come from? I mean, was this, you know, were you just, did you wake up one morning? <laughs> I just imagine people have ideas. They like wake up and they're like, <gasps> I had this idea. I got it. I got it. We got to. We got to put together a solid AppSec scanning program. Where where this idea come from? Yeah, I think, like I say, over the last couple of years, I've been working a lot more with development teams. And I just I just saw sort of how difficult this was was for them. You know, they had um, a lot of these teams had these tools in place already. A lot of them already had the tools there, but um, yeah, they were they were really struggling with them. They weren't sure, um, you know exactly how to use the tools. They were, often weren't familiar exactly what the difference between the tools was. Um, they sometimes had very unrealistic expectations of the tools, you know, what they thought they'd get out of the tools, very different to what they were actually going to get out of the tool. Um, and then, you know, once it came to actually have, handling the output, they just were completely unprepared for that as well. You know, if you think about penetration tests, you might get sort of 20 findings that are sort of quite well, hopefully quite well explained and stepped through. You, know, you run a untuned static code analysis tool, SAS tool, you might get a thousand findings. And suddenly someone's left with all these findings thinking, well, wow, what, what am I going to do with this? And, you know, they had the tools, but they didn't have the process. Um, and, you know, even this is even very large organizations where they may have quite regimented development processes, you know, 
you know, working agile, they've got sprints, they're using Jira, they've got tickets, they've got epics, whatever else. But then suddenly they hadn't really planned out, okay, well, how do the tools fit into this? Where do the uh, security scanning reports fit into this? What sort of process are they? What sort of activity are they? They just didn't have that uh, that process in place. Um, I just thought, you know, that's just a pain, pain point that I saw very often. At the same time, you know, these tools ultimately end up with developers. I don't think there are enough security people in the world to deal with these tools on, on their own. And you know, most of the advanced vendors now are, are focusing their tools on you know, these sort of tools on developers. Um, but when it comes to talking to developers about security, you know, it's usually, well, it's, it's either, okay, here's how you write secure code, or here's the OS top 10, or you know, maybe even here's how you put tools into your CI/CD pipeline on you know, the automation aspects. But again, it doesn't, I don't think there's much information out there about the actual process aspects themselves. You know, eventually someone is going to have to look at a report and decide what to do. And someone's going to have to figure out, okay, where does this enter into my process? Um, and that's, you know, I think it's, th th those sort of processes are crucial for actually getting value from these tools and getting security benefit. And I think a, a lot of organizations are struggling with that. Yeah, and one of the so I can confirm, you know, what you're saying about developer knowledge of tools. So one of the things we do here at Security Journey is we have content on SAST, for example. There's no specific I don't we don't talk about a specific tool. What I've found is just introducing a developer to the idea of static app application security testing and letting them know what is it what's the what's the the value for you as a developer what's the workflow look like with it not even though I'm not even talking about a specific tool but just them having that understanding and that knowledge changes the game when they have to go use the tool so many times as security people were like hey we just we just bought all these tools and developers you have to run them this is the way that you have to do it and yes there's 10,000 entries that came out of it I don't care you're going to run it with everything turned on you're going to, you know, you're going to eat your veg vegetables and like it, you know, you're going to, you're going to deal with all these things as best you can or whatever. And we don't, we don't really think developer first, like we think security people first. And I mean, we've, I mean, I'll admit it. We've, I've been guilty of this in the past. Um, you know, this is, this is how security used to think. And, and this new, this new world has got to be to your other point about the number of developers and number of security people out there, like we don't have enough security people to run SaaS tools for all the stuff that's out there. We have to enable these developers to be successful and understand what they're doing and gain value from the tools. Because we also know that developers, if you lose them on the tool, you're not getting them back. If they have a bad experience with the tool and somehow messes with their, you know, it generates 10,000 bugs and or something for them automatically, they're never going to trust it again for them. So that's, that's just been kind of my experience in, in, in getting these tools in front of developers as well. Yeah, no, I think, I think that, that last point especially is key. I think that you know, these tools can suddenly become security. Suddenly the vast majority of a developer security um, you know, day-to-day experience becomes, oh, I've got more results in this tool that I need to deal with. I'll, I'll know not again. You know, I've had um, organizations come to me and say, oh, you, we, uh, we really want to get our developers excited about security so that they'll be more motivated to deal with the output of these tools. I'm like, well, you, you're never going to get developers excited about security from these tools. You just need to make them you know, find them ways to get the, through these findings faster. And then hopefully they'll free up time to look, think about other things and think about other aspects of security as well. Um, you know, that's how you're going to get them interested. That's how you're going to get them more bought into it. Ultimately, you know, these findings aren't going to get exciting, but these findings can be, you know, this process can be made easier. So Josh, we, we've talked about the importance of these tools and, and none of us uh, deny that. And, and certainly I know developers, they can look at it and say, okay, I can see some value here, but in terms of this 
uh, AppSec scanning program. Can you describe how you're developing that idea, how you're turning it into a program uh, and helping out developers with these uh, these things they may be struggling with? So I guess this sort of thing has always been sort of this issue of being on, on my mind. It was an issue that I was sort of very acutely aware of. And then I started working at Bounce uh, with Avi. And you know he's obviously done a lot of tra- training courses related to um, threat modeling and to .NET security. He's been very sort of very very successful, very well known for that. And he asked me sort of in passing, oh by the way, have you got any ideas about training courses? Because that's you know one of the few things we do here. And um, and I, started, I went home and like thought about this a little bit. I went home um, and. All, yeah, all these thoughts suddenly fell out about, you know, all this stuff that I've been thinking about, you know, working with these organizations, seeing these struggles, it just sort of fell out onto a piece of paper. And I was like, wow, there's there's sort of quite a lot quite a lot going on here. There's quite, quite a lot of ideas here. I think this is something that would be valuable to to take to developers and to take to organizations. So uh, I sat down, did some more work on it, did a lot of sort of iterations with Avi and also with uh, Adi Belinkov, who was, she's very experienced in application security, also here locally in Israel, and she was working with us up to a month or so ago. And by the end, we had a rough outline, we reckon, of a, you know, a few days training covering all these different uh, tools and thinking about you know, how, how we can use them better and how we can understand them better. I mean, we, we sort of thought maybe we should you know, write this down in a very long document or a book or something. But actually, I think that there needs to be an interactive element as well. You know, we're not going to make this fun, but we need to try and make it in some way engaging. We need to find how um, push developers through this process and you know, find ways to actually you know, help, them, help them work through it. Um, so in the end, we sort of came down to I feel, there's a few key areas about you know, what we actually wanted to talk about and you know, what we think we need to get across to developers. And um, so the first is, you know, as you said, understanding the tools better, understanding you know, this is the tool, this is how it works, and really you know, digging a little bit deeper into you know, what's really going on behind the scenes and the different sort of features and different sort of functionality. You know, completely vendor agnostic, but uh, you know, there's a lot of shared you know, common features between them, and I think it helps the developers to understand that concept, context and understand that information. Um, also about configuring the, the tools. You know, a lot of the more complicated tools have very different ways that they can be run, different modes they can be run in, and you know, understanding that is also very important. You know, different even within in the same organization, you know, different um, different products they're developing may you know be be very different uh, profiles. I mean, you know, one may be a very very modern you know, web application using all the latest frameworks, and one may be a very old monolithic Java application. You know, you may, and they may need to think about well, what's the best way of running the tool on this particular type of application. Um, and again, that's that sort of knowledge that you can might be able to get from a particular vendor, maybe um, depending on how good your vendor is. But there's still a lot of commonality that it's important that uh, developers actually understand it. Um, and I suppose the third key pillar as well was sort of stepping back and saying, you know, at the end of the day, we are finding application security vulnerabilities here, and that's, you know, developers don't have any innate training in, okay, here's how you assess vulnerabilities, here's how vulnerability ratings are calculated, here's the sort of thought process that goes into uh, deciding how bad is this vulnerability, how does it affect us. Um, so another important part is trying to present them with that and try and help them, okay, here's the the mindset to work through to actually evaluate one of these vulnerabilities, both you know, from a generic perspective and also thinking about the specific types that come out of each tool. Again, you know, one type of tool is looking at vulnerabilities in your own code. One type of tool is looking at vulnerabilities in third-party code that's sort of publicly publicly uh, announced but may not actually affect you. Um, so it's about how to how to approach that process and try and you know, bring developers into that process. Like I say, you know, obviously, 
you know, the, the, the commonly held wisdom is you, know, you don't you don't want to give developers a thousand findings. You want to do all the triage yourself first. But some organizations, even that's not so realistic. I mean, maybe there's some basic triage that can be done, but it will still fall to people whose primary day job and sort of immersion isn't in security. Um, so the moment we've got uh, a one-day version of the course scheduled for uh, virtual uh, AppSec EU, um, which is happening in June. Um, and we also uh, ran it past uh, Jim Manico, and he really liked the idea, and he put it in uh, his catalog as well. So uh, that's really interesting. And then uh, I guess the key thing from us is you know, we, we obviously very much love OWASP and the sort of the open resources model and thinking about what we can do uh, to release this sort of information more widely. And at the moment, it looks like the the, the main way we, way we can do that is that to support the exercises that will be part of the course, we're trying to prepare sort of worksheet templates to help you know, people think through, okay, here's what I need to think about if I'm implementing one of these tools. Here's what I need to think about if I'm evaluating one of these tools. Here's what I need to think about if I'm evaluating vulnerabilities. And you know, I think the, the goal is to try and maybe release those more widely to again try and sort of build up this thought process and you know make it easier to access and make this information more available as well because you know, I think it is, you know, we need to find a way of communicating this across. I think that uh, you know we, we can't build a one-size-fits-all, here's how everything works, you know, here's how you will do it in your organization, because every organization is different, but we can certainly help um, developers with the ideas and the, and the thought process behind it. Yeah, the, the idea of an implementation guide is something that really doesn't exist in the OWASP world. And we've got cheat sheets, which are issue-specific, but one of the things that... Um, that I've done in the past in helping other companies build SDLs is to create implementation guides in the early days. And it's really just a, a process set of process steps and information. And you could do an implementation guide about a SAS tool specifically to say, you know, here's the things that you have to do. Here's things you have to look out for. You know, it's almost like a cheat sheet, but you can't use cheat sheet has a specific definition in the world of OWASP, right? Like this isn't a cheat sheet, but yeah, that's really neat to hear that um, you're thinking about that. And it sounds like uh sounds like a really well-needed topic that uh, a lot of companies struggle with. Um, to, that they just, they need that type of perspective. So I want to change gears a little bit and understand um, what are some of the specific examples that you've seen of companies struggling with tools? Because I, I love to hear real world case studies about, uh, and I think it helps other practitioners as well to be, because there's probably some people that are going to hear what you're about to say and go, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> Everybody has this problem too. Yeah, and that's the that's a great part of being a consultant. You get to see lots of different organizations, a lot of different environments, and you, know, you get to sort of bring out war stories that you can sort of anonymize. And uh, I think it's useful to share. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen you know, lots of different examples of this. Um, a few key ones. So there's a organization I was involved with where the QA team wanted to start using Dust. Someone someone suggested to the QA team, you know, pure. QA, not a security-focused team, um, they should start using a DAS tool because they were already sort of effectively performing dynamic application testing. They were, you know, had had a whole QA suite of tests, automated manual to test a running application. So it was considered this would be a very uh, sort of neat insert into their processes. Um, unfortunately, the big challenge there was that they sort of had very unrealistic unrealistic expectations about what they'd get out of the DAS. You know, they their entire life, they sort of breathe um, bugs. They're like, okay, we find bugs, we fix bugs. We find bugs, we, we send them to be fixed. We find bugs, we send them to be fixed. And they were very much completely focused on, okay, we, are we finding bugs? Are we finding bugs? Are we finding bugs? And 
you know, I was trying to, talk, to walk them through, okay, well, this is what DAS does, and it will you know, find certain vulnerabilities if they exist, um, but it obviously has to, you know, have to look at how much of our application we're covering, and we have to look at what sort of tests we want, we have to look at what bugs are interesting to us, and it was very hard to sort of shift them away from this um, this mindset of does it find bugs or does it not find bugs. And, you know, often you know, you'll scan something with DAST and you know, it depends on the complexity of the application. They might, you know, they might not find it. You know, DAST is uh, very, very dependent on how well it manages to uh, to navigate the application and how much coverage it can get. And you know, in, in the end, they they just sort of I think they they just sort of got uh, tired of it. They said, you know, we, we're not we're not seeing the bugs. We're not seeing loads of value from this, so we, we don't want to use it because I think they. They sort of had unrealistic expectations up front. I think maybe if they'd had slightly, you know, more understanding of this is what this tool does, this is the situation, and sort of being a, a more of a joint work between the QA and security teams rather than being very much sort of just put on the QA, then it would have uh, potentially been more successful. Um, another organization I was working to help them with their uh, their backlog on their uh, SAS tool, on their secure code scanning tool. Um, and they'd had this process where they had a lot, 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 large, large list of, of uh, code level vulnerabilities they needed to fix. And they were sort of tracking metrics every month. Okay, now we've got uh, uh, 600 and now we've got 500. Now we've got, you know, they were gradually burning down this backlog. And um, I'm helping them with this. And one day I'll go into the tool and there are thousands of vulnerabilities. And I said to them, what's, you know, what's, what's going on here? Where will all these vulnerabilities come from? Well, these are much, you know, this is much, much more than what you've got in the metrics. And they said, oh, no, you're looking at the wrong view. You need to change the filter to that view. And I was like, why? They're like, because that's the view that we use. I was like, why is that the view that you use? They're like, well, that's just the view that we've always used. And you know, I asked a few questions, and it sort of became apparent that at some point in the, the life cycle of this tool, it was decided they were going to focus on particular types of vulnerabilities and particular uh, a set of vulnerabilities. and that they had a filter put in to, to show them those vulnerabilities, and that was it. And they were working those vulnerabilities, and you know, years had passed, and it sort of become tribal knowledge that you know, this is the view that we use, and uh, you know, here be dragons pretty much for everything else. Um, and because they hadn't sort of thought up front, okay, what is our process? How are we going to work through this? Which stage do we want to take a more strict policy? You know, that, that, that none of that knowledge had got passed down. That was never being reviewed, or you know, are we, is this still valid? Are we still looking at the right set of uh, vulnerabilities? Um, and they, just, you know, they, they were just stuck on this original view that they'd been given years ago. Um, another good example is uh, with software composition analysis. I've seen where organizations just have so many different libraries being reported, and they've got to go through all these libraries. You know, even before they look at the vulnerabilities themselves, just say, are we using this library? Or are we not using this library? You know, this particular organization had a they had they, they had the the tool set to be quite sensitive. It was there were a lot of possible ways it could match a library and often it would match on something and say, oh, this file exists, so you must be using this library. And actually, it was just a relatively common file that was used with multiple libraries. Um, and they were spending a long time just trying to get rid of sort of false positives in libraries, never mind, you know, which the looking at evaluating the vulnerabilities. And, um, you know, then their concern, which is also valid, was they didn't want to start missing libraries. They wanted to be sensitive because they didn't want to start... Uh, having libraries they were using but weren't getting detected for some reason. Um, you know, and here I think they need, they, I was sort of trying to push them and say, look, you need to sort of stop a second and decide, okay, how exactly are you going to tune this tool to get the right level of uh, detail, go through all these libraries, get rid of the ones that are false positives, and then sort of move on from there. And you know, if something new comes up, then hopefully 
you've got a lot less to go through and you can say, okay, well, we're expecting this new library because we had this new feature that we needed something new for it, or we're not expecting this new library. So where's it come from? Is it false positive or not? And uh, and it was, it was interesting. You know, one of the things that almost came out of that was that um, you know, they, they, were, they were spending a lot of time on this and there was some discussion, is this the right tool? Should we use a different tool? And there was a lot of pushback about, well, you know, if we change tools, suddenly we'll have to redo all this work all over again. We'll have to start from scratch. And I said, well, if you're spending this much time on it anyway, it may be that you know, over a long term, a new, another tool may actually make this less time. You know, I've seen that where they moved to a different tool and you know, did some evaluation, decided, you know, if they did some evaluation based on that, they moved to a different tool and they established that actually it was going to take them less time going forward. Um, but they'd sort of You'll, fallen into the, the sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, of, I was going to say well, the sunk cost the sunk cost analysis is where yeah. you know you have to ask yourself the question: If I was starting brand new today, would I buy that tool again? Don't forget all the investment I've made, all the knowledge and everything that I think I have. If I had to make the decision today, would I still buy it? If the answer is no, you've already made your decision. Move on. You know, find a new tool. Yeah, no, completely, completely. And yeah, when you put in this much effort into it on a on a yeah, periodic basis, then you know, it's time to put some effort into evaluating, is this really doing what I needed to do? Yeah, there's a lot of room for innovation still in the world of AppSec tools. I think we're really still in our infancy of really what the tools can do and you know where they can go. And so I think uh, I look forward to the next few years as these tools continue to uh, get better and evolve. And, you know, there's some some new folks in, in a lot of these categories that are doing things faster and, and more from a, in a more innovative uh, approach. And so it's going to be fun to watch them kind of push the edge of the industry and drag some of the early the early companies that were part of this to either step up and match what they're doing or, you know, fall out of the whatever magic quadrant they sit in. No, completely. I mean, if you look at, say, features, I mean, one one feature that we sort of, again, when I was talking through with Avi and Ad, Adi about sort of the, the content, we talked about one of the features in uh, software compos- composition analysis of, uh, of of reachability analysis. You know, can, yeah. uh, you know, okay, you've got this vulnerability in this library, can, you know, based on the way you're using this library, would an end user, would an attacker actually better get to that functionality in the first place? And that, you know, if you've got that, that can be a massive time saver because that's a lot of analysis that suddenly you don't need to do um, manually and you can say automatically, well, there is this vulnerability in this library, but it doesn't affect us. So it's not going to be our first priority because, you know, right now no one can get to it. And you know, it's and not, you know, I don't think every tool supports that. And I was, I was sort of hesitant to talk about that because I was like, well, is, does every tool support that now? Is that useful? But we wanted to talk about some of the new ones of things as well because you know these are things that are going to be big big time savers and big helps yeah i mean push push the envelope like i mean i wouldn't buy an sca tool today that didn't have reachability analysis like i'd be like i'd be one of my first questions in the demo and if they said well no we don't but we're working on it okay next bring me to the next demo because uh you know if i if i'm not vulnerable why would i want to extend my resources and and have people you know, wasting development cycles, trying to fix something, a problem that I don't even have. I got enough problems that I actually have. I don't, I don't need to fix the problems that I don't have. So Josh, I'll throw one out here. I don't know if you have any more on your list, but I'll throw one out just because you'll probably get a kick out of it. And maybe you can add it to your, uh, your list of uh, struggling with tools, but I'm not going to identify anyone who was involved in this. I'm just going to tell the story very generically, but I was I, I was listening to a story about um, a static analysis deployment that a large enterprise had done, and so they were using one of the uh, one, one of the, the the 
the you know top industry kind of providers of static analysis. And they decided they wanted to deploy it in the cloud. So they were going to put all of the services that they were that, that were required to, to make this managed SaaS scanning service for their internal enterprise operating in the cloud. The, the, the bill for AWS was more than the license they paid for their enterprise to do it. It took that many resources to do it. So they literally had to double, more than double their budget to make this managed scanning service because they needed so many resources in the cloud to make, to even just have a trickle of performance in, you know, being able to process lines of code. And so I heard that I just, it, it just made me chuckle. And it makes me think of that same category of struggling with tools. Like that's, that was a struggle because you should really be able to deliver SaaS without needing more cloud services than the cost of your entire enterprise license. But that was just my take. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely seen that sort of thing as well. I think a lot, a lot of the time, the sort of analysis that's being done can suddenly become very resource intensive and very memory intensive. I mean, one, one thing that I saw, which is sort of on the, on the border of software composition analysis is container scanning and I, you know, a tool that's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll just ingest a whole container, we'll scan it. But it turns out the containers are quite large. And uh, once you start ingesting a few containers into this tool, um, yeah, the, the tool gets quite unhappy quite fast. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's another that's problem. Of... Like that's a, you know, when I think about, and that's a whole other topic. We didn't even talk about CVA or container vulnerability analysis, but um, as a category. But you know, that speaks back to like how do you build containers? You know, people still build these big, giant, fat containers, like, and. You know, that's once again, you know, all three of us have been in security for a long time. We know limit our interfaces from the very beginning. The less interfaces we have, the less ways someone can compromise whatever it is that we're building. But the average container you see these days are these monolith, gigantic monstrosities of, you know, why do we need the entire Ubuntu operating system? You know, why do we need X windows in our container? I don't know. We just, it's always been how we've built it. We've always had X windows in our container. Maybe we need a GUI in our container. Maybe we want to access our container remotely over X. I don't know, you know, um, but that's a whole other, that's probably a whole other conversation. We could, I'm about to go on another <laughs> diatribe. I better circle it back around here. Yeah. Well, uh, Josh, it's been great to talk to you. Um, so as we uh, come to a close, just curious, uh, what are some key things that you want people to know about or think about uh, this topic and maybe even a few key takeaways? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, as we've seen, there's a, there's a lot we could talk about this. I could talk about this all day. Uh, I guess I'm planning on doing that at the uh, OS conference. But um, I, th I think there were a few sort of key ideas that came out of this and sort of key things that pe people can think about, you know, regardless. I think it's, it's important to be aware of and to, to sort of have in mind. Um, I think one of the first things that comes out is, you know, we think about, oh, we're going to buy this tool. It's going to cost us this much in, in license fee. So we're going to spend this much. Um, and you forget that you know, there's a lot of time cost of actual you know, people's time to actually work with this tool. And you can look at license um, fee, but that's just one part of it. And the amount of time you have to put into these tools is potentially you know, higher than you'd expect. I mean, people, you know, people might start screaming at me, but I think you know, if, you, if you're using open source and where you haven't got a license fee, then potentially that's even higher because potentially you have to do, you know, there's more work you have to do to get it put in. And, you know, even automated tools incur a lot of manual work and you have to be sort of ready for that and prepared for that and you know, prepared to, uh, to take that into account. And you know, how you can cut down that work and make it more efficient is sort of a, a key goal of the course. Um, <clears throat> I think we, we, we 
we covered this as well, but I think it's important to highlight that you, you, because of all this manual time, you can spend a lot of time on these tools. You can waste a lot of time and it can become the, you know, the developer's, you know, the face of security for a developer becomes, oh no, not more findings from these tools. Um, and if you don't have, you know, an efficient way of dealing with these findings and efficient way of processing them, then that, you know, that's just going to wreck developer morale, wreck developer attitude towards security and, you know, make it a lot harder to, you know, to, I guess, promote security in general within a development team. So, you know, this isn't just a, there's a lot of value in terms of making more efficient processes so that you've got efficient processes. But I think there's a lot of value in a wider security context of, you know, how do we want to operate our application security program in an organization? Um, and part of that is going to be making sure there's a, you know, not a massively negative view of security caused by, you know, frustration with these tools. Um, I think the, fi- the, the, you know, the final thing to take into account as well is that, um, you know, we, you know, these tools are very developer focused, um, or they should be developer focused, and we want you know we want developers to be using them. We have to realize that you know different people are going to have to solve different problems, um, and or be involved in different processes around these tools. So you know, DevOps people are going to have to be involved in when you how are we going to put this into the automation process? You know, developers are going to have to be doing the analysis of the findings from the you know the code, the library perspective, because they're the ones who know it best and. You, know, you, don't, you don't want security to end up getting gummed up on, okay, how do we run this tool? What, you know, what do we do with the findings when a lot of the tasks might be developers as well? There's a, there is a certain amount of, uh, I guess, sharing the love that you want to do and making sure that you know, the right people are engaged on, on the right t- um, topics. And, you know, a lot of understanding you know, how we're going to build processes for this is, about, is understanding who's going to do this. You know, a lot of the worksheets are about saying, well, who's going to be responsible for this part? Who's going to be responsible for that part? And making you think, well, actually, you know, there are different personas who should be doing that. Um, and obviously, you know, as part of that, it also gives you an opportunity to sort of say, well, we want developers to do some of this and maybe we can push more of the, you know, the vulnerability assessment to the, and reviewing the vulnerabilities to developers. And, you know, that pushes into to sort of security champion territory where we want certain developers to be more um, familiar with uh, security, which in itself is a, is a, is a good goal. So, uh, but you do have to make sure that, you know, it doesn't all fall on security, it doesn't all fall on developers, but, you know, the right people are doing, doing the right processes. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Josh, thanks for uh, sharing this insight with us on high value AppSec scanning programs. Say hi to Avi and the rest of the Bounce team for us. And um, I guess I'll leave our audience with our key takeaway. OWASP Europe this year, the global is virtual. So you can sign up for Josh's class. Doesn't matter where you are on earth. It's going to be virtual for everybody. So check that out. Josh, great to talk to you again. We look forward to seeing you in person at a con- at a conference sometime soon. Maybe even yes, AppSec, uh, Global AppSec US in San Fran in uh, October, November, whenever that is happening. But once again, great to see you. Thanks for sharing your ins- insight and knowledge with us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Really great to see you guys again. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Really great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. You'll find the show on Twitter at AppSec Podcast and on the web at www.securityjourney.com slash resources slash podcast. You can also find Chris on Twitter at EdgeRoute and Robert at Robert Hurlbutt. Remember, with application security... There are many paths, but only one destination.